Morning. It's good to be here and uh, South Green and great to worship and give all the glory and honour to God. And he's the one who deserves all the glory and honour, isn't he? There's loads going on in our lives and of course we know that he cares about all the little things and all the big things and everything else and his attention is on us. Uh, what he asks for is our attention to go back uh, to him and give him all the glory. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, to this end of our series on um, uh, the 500 uh, an- a year anniversary of the Reformation and we've looked at the five solars. I'm going to give you a brief um, reminder. I might, I might even ask you if you can remember the first four and we'll see how we get on and see how much you've been taking notice. But it's good to end on the fifth solar. Or should I take this one off and use this one? Because it annoys me. That was better. <laughs> I'm going to take this one off and we'll just uh, use that otherwise. It'll be distracting. There's distractions everywhere, isn't there? Look at this. There's for healing if he goes over. Glory to God alone. So can you remember the first four? Can you remember them? I'm going to go over them a little bit anyway. Can you remember these five solars? It's Latin for alone uh, that you've been looking at. Two of them you did together, didn't you? Because we had to fit it in the preaching plan. No one remembers them? I'm going to have to give you a little reminder. Grace. Thank you, Roger. Solar scripture. Yep. Scripture alone. Faith alone. So we did grace and faith, I think, on the same week, didn't we? But they are two separate uh, of the solar. And who have we forgotten that's always the answer in church? Jesus! <laughs> Christ alone. Solar Christos. Uh, Christ alone. So today we look at glory to God alone. I'm going to use as a text, um, although it's not a big exposition of it, but um, one uh, a passage that Paul writes in Romans. If you want to follow it, it's in Romans 11, uh, verse 33 to 36. That's 1139 of your church Bibles, if you've got them. Uh, but words of Paul. And he's just, he's just the spontaneous words of praise of Paul the Apostle. And we'll, we'll have a look at uh, why that is as we go through. Romans 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So be it. Amen. To him be the glory forever. And so we re- you'll remember, I'm going to give you the brief history lesson again, but in 1517, that's 500 years ago, if you're good at uh, maths, on October the 31st, so we've just slightly uh, missed the date, a Catholic monk called Martin Luther. Martin Luther, we've often heard that name uh, uh, mentioned, but not everybody knows exactly what he did, but he nailed 95 statements or theses on the door to a church in Germany. And it went, in modern-day language, viral. They probably didn't use that word then, but it went viral. Uh, and it changed everything. It changed everything. He wrote three books, and the ideas he presented in those books weren't necessarily new, uh, but they were facts that, of God's word in the Bible. But most people hadn't had the Bible. They were relying on the church and the priests to tell them the truth. And they wasn't. They were making things up. 
Um, so they weren't new ideas, but they were facts about the Bible, things that God's Word said. And that's what this series has been about. What does the Word of God say? What does the Word of God say? What does the truth of Scripture say? How do we get informed so that we can be reformed or transformed? I like the forms uh, this morning. Transformed. And I often say it's, it's great to have the information, but that's all it is if we're not transformed. We need information that leads to transformation. Uh, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of these, this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we need to be transformed. We're not meant to stand still. We're not meant to stand still in faith. We're always growing increasingly, or should be, into Christ's likeness. We're not meant to stand still. We've heard about the birth of a baby this morning, which is great news. Uh, but we expect, in about a year's time, that baby to start walking and talking, depending how quickly. We don't expect it to stay a baby. We expect it to grow. Anything healthy grows And so we should grow as Christians as well. And Paul says elsewhere that some people are on spiritual milk when they should be on solid food. We're supposed to progress in our Christian walk. We shouldn't stay in infancy. And we need to hold to these great truths of the Bible, especially in the age that we live in, where it gets mocked and Jesus gets mocked and God gets mocked and people don't believe in him. As we've heard already, we only have to look at creation uh, to see that he exists. So we need to be reformed and transformed because those truths were not just true 500 years ago. They're true for us today. There were five major ideas which you've reminded us of all today. They're sometimes referred to as the five solars. As I said already, the word solar is Latin for um, alone. So sola scriptura, scripture alone, is our authority. People are not the ultimate authority. I can tell you a load of rubbish. If you don't test it against scripture, I could be in error and you could be in error. And that's what was happening around the time of the Reformation. It was, the Bible was being uh, used for abuse in many ways. The ultimate authority is scripture, scripture alone. Church leaders are not the ultimate authority. Scripture is, God's word is, God himself. That's the first solar. The church doesn't judge the scriptures, although some churches seem to want to try Scripture judges the church. We test what we do against the word of God. The second one, sola gratia, grace alone. See, Martin Luther grew up in a world that believed you had to work for your salvation, you had to earn it. Because the world was so messed up and because we're so messed up, we had to work for for things in our lifetime to earn God's favour. You had to do good things in in order to work off the guilt of your sin. You're in condemnation. And if you didn't do enough in this lifetime, the church was teaching, to work off the effects of sin, then you went to this place called purgatory. Purgatory. And there, you were there for no one knew how long. You, no one knew where you was gonna, how long you was going to be in there. This is what the church uh, taught. But while you was there, you'd be purged from your sin. And you could help others and yourself while you were alive if you brought things from who? if you paid money to the church. It's like me saying to you, I'll tell you what, you're going to spend a bit less time in poetry. Give me money. Give me money. I mean, now that is horrifying, isn't it? I mean, I'd be a rich minister if that were really the case. And it's not, and I'm not. But it's incredible that people really believed it and church ministers taught it. St Peter's was built on that, the indulgences. We wouldn't have St. Peter's if it wasn't for the indulgences. That's the word given to people giving money to the church to spend less time in purgatory. And Luther sees all this, but he looks at the Bible and he says, well, then this is not what it says. But they're telling all these people. 
He saw all of it and he was furious, as we should be, uh, if people were saying it now. And according to the Bible, he said, we can't do anything to earn our salvation. It's a gift. It's by grace alone. God has done for us what we can't do for ourselves. The difference between the messages of religions, or religion, and the message of Christ himself has always been wrapped up in the difference between the word do and the word done. And the cry of the cross, which we remember later on in the service, is, it is finished. And Hebrews 10 talks about how day after day the religious leaders would stand up and uh, give offerings. But when this great high priest, Jesus himself, uh, gave himself as an offering, he sat down at the right hand of the Father because it's finished. He's paid for it. You can't pay for it. He's done it. It's not what you and I must do. Faith alone, we can't earn it. We simply believe and receive it by faith. The cry of the Reformation is that we're made right with God by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. And that's what the scripture alone tells us. And now we come to one more. One more. And I'm not going to do a test of which one it is because the whole service has been using this word glory. It's found in Romans. You could divide the book of Romans into two parts. Romans 1 to 11 and then Romans chapter 12 to 16. And give you a quick summary of the first 11 chapters... You can tell the sermon might go on for a while, uh, but it's not. Chapters 1 to 3 is shut up, no excuses, no one scores 100% all the time, know where you stand. Chapters 4 to 5, well how can I make that right? You can't, you have to be made right by God. Chapters 6 to 8 is now that's happened, how are you going to live that out? And then chapters 9 to 11 there's some heavy questions, and if I did go through all of them, um, we would be here for a while. But the end of chapter 11, where we're coming to at our passage, before he goes into the second half of the letter, Paul breaks out in this song. He's all of a sudden got this explosion of praise in that passage uh, that was read. It's like he's the man who has maybe gone for miles and miles walking, and he's on a great journey, and then suddenly he comes across a great lake or a fantastic mountain. Or Charlotte's here. You know, something awesome. It's incredible. And it's it's like his mouth has just got to praise God. His mouth just drops open. And he has no words. He's speechless almost. You can stand there sometimes and lecture about the view. But other times you just stand there and be overwhelmed by it. And this is where Paul is in this passage. He's overwhelmed. He's overwhelmed. He's standing there now. And it's like he says, can you believe All of this. And so he comes out with the words, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. It's like he's saying, Can you believe what you've just read? Because when I, when I gave that quick appraisal of Romans, it talks about how what God has done for us. Can you believe that? It's hitting him. He's going, wow, this is incredible. This is unbelievable. And he has to break out in song. Can you believe how much God loves you? So much that he sent his own son in the world to die for you. To take your place. Can you believe that? He's praising God because of that, those truths. To him be the glory forever and ever. And one of the questions that's repeated itself for centuries, everyone asks this question at one time or another, and it's this. What is the meaning and purpose of life? You know, I'm running Alpha courses, and we're already getting ready for the next one. This one hasn't finished yet, but I like the tea and biscuits, so we're going to have another one, which is good. But the question is, what's the purpose of life? What on earth am I here for? They renamed the first 
talk. It used to be Christianity boring, untrue and irrelevant. It wasn't stating a fact. It was asking a question. Is it boring? Is it untrue? Is it irrelevant? It's not boring. It's the most exciting journey you'll be on. And it is truth and it's very relevant. Very, very relevant. But those, those Alpha courses, people have come, they're trying to see some sort of meaning and purpose for their life. And the answer is right here in the book of Romans. Your greatest purpose in life is to glorify God. Once you get to that, other things fit into place. Once we let go of our selfishness, and I, I wrestle with this all the time, but it's the, we need to glorify God in everything we do. That's the meaning and purpose of life. I'm supposed to have a relationship with God. I've been created in his image. And without that, I'm lost. I have no meaning or purpose. I can fill my life up with things and cars and TVs and Xboxes and whatever else, relationships, uh, things that would be harmful for my body, but nothing will fill the gap. Only God. I've been created to have a relationship with God. And my chief end is to glorify him. Let's quote the Anglicans. The Shorter Westminster Catechism. Man's chief end is to glorify God. Worship God and enjoy him forever. We don't often think about enjoying God, but enjoy him forever. That's our meaning and purpose in life, is to glorify him. The reason I live, the reason you live, the reason you have breath in your lungs, the reason your heart beats, is to glorify God. He's the only one that can be glorified. Your entire reason for living is not for me, it's not to glorify myself, although I can fall into temptation of that, but it's to glorify him. There's two times in my life um, that I've been re- God has really challenged me uh, on this. Uh, I wonder if you can guess them. Life-changing events. No, but I'm going to include that when I do this talk again, because that is one. That is one. I've, there are three things. <laughs> Andrea does send her apologies. She was caught up in a pastoral issue just before, and so she had to go somewhere else. It's good that she's not here. I feel like God has protected me, and all the glory, all the glory for that goes to him, and him alone. But children, who said children? Yeah. So when Kaylee was first born, I thought I was a pretty easygoing lad. You know, Andrea was lucky to have me. See how I'm going with this now she's not here? Um, I was very lucky to have her. Um, but when Kaylee was born, I realised just how selfish I was. All of a sudden there was this life that I was responsible for. And amazingly, she didn't do as I told her at a month old. In fact, she did a lot of things that I didn't really want her to do. And I loved her. But my life, really, I remember thinking, I'm really selfish. Not because I didn't do things for her, I just realised that I was just doing whatever I wanted. And the world, all of a sudden, did not revolve around me. What's the second thing, or third thing? Marriage is a good one. What's the third thing? Yep, sort of. That's what came out of it. You're good today, aren't you? Gold star. When I became a Christian, I realised, it was a sudden realisation that as much as God loves me and he cares about everything about me, it's not, for me, it's not about me. It's about him. All the glory had to go to him. And the Purpose Driven Life book, if you've probably probably read that already, if you haven't, you should. It's good. Rick Warren wrote it. Um, but the first line of the first chapter, it's not about me. And of course, people in this world, and sometimes Christians, go around thinking the world is all about them. And actually, that makes us focus on ourselves when all the glory should be going to God. We actually glorify ourselves sometimes. There's nothing wrong in looking after yourself. You know, uh, love your neighbour as yourself. Uh, but all the glory goes to God. And I realised, and those three things, um, that actually I was selfish. 
And actually the glory wasn't going to God. Those things were important, but the glory must go to God. So there's just two things I want to talk about really briefly because we've got uh, communion. But if you can go away this this service, one thing. Glorify God in your life. And uh, trust me, you'll be happier because your attention is on him, not just my lot. There's always more things I want. There's always more things I could do. But if I can glorify God and put my attention on him, maybe some of those things will fall into place. But if I only look at myself and inward looking, I'll soon get depressed. But first of all, glory to God. Glory to God as creator. That passage was already um, read out as, uh, as uh, we were led in worship. Romans 1.20 For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Ladies, you don't get off on that. It's just that's the way it's written in the Bible. It means everybody. No one has an excuse. Now, here's my watch. It's good I've took this off because I need to keep an eye on the time. The clock's behind me. Um, But if I said to you, look, this watch, it was formed over thousands of years. We just put it on the ground and the wind blew a certain way. And look at that. Look at that. That's how it happened. You would call me stupid. And you'd be right. Someone designed that watch. It speaks of a designer. It's a nice watch. I've had it for years. It speaks of a designer. Yet the world will tell you that you're an accident and somehow you just came into being. They can't give you an answer why that is. They've got lots of theories, which is all they are, are theories. But when you look around, just how the Bible says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, so are you. The Bible says that before you was even formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. You're everything to him. He sent his son to die for you. There is a purpose in your life. You need to glorify God for what he's done. And as I look at creation and trees and everything else, I can see, I think, how, how can that be an accident? How does a seed fall to the ground and life? We take it all for granted. But God gives life. God gives life. The word is ruach. You have to say that with kind of a Spanish or Portuguese kind of as if you've got something stuck in your throat. I'm never good at it and I end up spitting at people so I don't like to do it. But it's like ruach. <laughs> One of those ones. And it literally, to literally God breathed. It's the word used for when God poured out his spirit, put life into the first humans. The ruach was given to them, breathed life into them. God gives life. God gives life. And we look at creation and we can see it. And sometimes it's corrupted. We know there's weeds because we're in a fallen world and we're corrupted. Uh, but we do the best we can. We can give glory for his creation. Anyone watching the, um, the I think, is it Blue Ocean? I always get the name wrong. David Attenborough, is that what it's called? Blue Planet. See, Sally's got the right answer again. Every time. The Blue Planet. You see, have anyone seen that? It's about the planet. And it's blue. And uh, they had an image. Uh, I was watching the other day. It's all about stuff in the sea that we've not even... We're still discovering stuff, right? All these accidents. And uh, they show you from miles out the the Earth. This perfect sphere uh, with its perfect canopy. And, and life, it sustains life. The odds are overwhelmingly against that. And people think, oh, that was lucky. <laughs> Didn't they? I mean, how do you do that? So when the Bible says you're left, you have no excuse. It's right. God's word is true. When we really look at it, this can't be an accident. It can't be. God is to be glorified for his creation. Amazing detail. There is intelligent design. Some people say to me, oh, it could have been aliens here. I thought it could have been. Who made them? And then they're stuffed. And of course they get back to the bit, who made God? And then you're up till three in the morning because our brains can't comprehend. Whatever happened, it was a miracle. But creation we can use as a witness for evangelism. Sometimes it comes up in Alpha as well. But all the glory for creation goes to him. As evidence for God, it's all around us. But then I want to just finish on, uh, what does that mean for us? It means that we need to respond and give God all the glory. And how do we do that? We have to give him our life. 
if his ruach has been breathed into me and he's the life giver and every breath is down to him, then I need to give him all the glory. I can live my life and he's, he's interested in my life. He gets all the glory. Any gift that I've got, he gets all the glory. I don't take it for myself. I'm glad of it, but it's him. It's all about him. It's a, it's a whole life attitude. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, So whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. All of it. All of it's for the glory of God. So think about the past week. Everything you've done is in the name of God. And you've got to think, well, has that given him glory? Have I given God glory? Because all the glory is due to him. Anyone heard of Brother Lawrence? I know you have. I know you have. Sally's bound to her because she's got the right answer every time. <laughs> he was a monk. He was a monk. He used to do the washing up a lot. This is, this is true. This is pretty much all he did. That was his job in the monastery. Um, but he wrote a, a collection of books which put into one book called Practicing the Presence of God. And I like that book. It's only about that thick. I love books that are not too thick. Apart from the Bible, of course. Um, but that's 66 books. So that's all right. And um, his whole point was God is with us all the time. And you need to realise that, that presence, he's here now he's here when you leave this place he's here when you go home, he's here in your workplace, he's with you in the hospitals he's there, we've just got to recognise it, and he, he said he said these words, he said I began to live as if there were, as if there were no one save God and me in the world, now that's a bit harsh because we, we like the fellowship of the believers uh, but he was stuck in the kitchen at the monastery for his whole life he washed pots, that was it And he said, many invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of him? Men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love. Isn't it just better to recognise our common business is wholly for the love of God, to glorify God. He said, it's enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. We can do little things for God. I turn the cake that is frying on the pan for love of him, for love of him and what he's done for me. There is nothing else to call me. I would prostrate myself in worship before him who has given me the grace to work. Afterwards, I rise happier than a king. His whole life was just to glorify God. Whatever he found himself doing, whatever his circumstances were, he wanted to glorify God. And imagine how different our lives would be if you always ask, can God be glorified in this? Can God be glorified in my attitude? Can God be glorified in my actions? What if we began to live our lives not for ourselves but to glorify God, to think of God in all things, practicing the presence of God? That's what it means to focus on God. But there's something else I wanted to say, and I'm coming to finish now. Just something that will really help you, and it helps me. When you focus on God, you get the blessing. Because you're less focused on yourself. If you start focusing on all your problems and the ailments, and God's concerned about them, but if that's all you focus on, it'll bring you down. If all you do is look at the news and say, oh, look at the world, it'll bring you down. But if you can keep focused on what God's plans and purposes are, I mean, God is moving. We've just seen the biggest people movement since the Second World War. It's happening right now. The churches in London, the Catholic churches, are full to overflowing because of some of that people movement. Because when the Romanians and that, they come over, they're Catholics. They go to the Catholic churches. The black churches in London are filling to overflowing. God is moving. 
But we can look for the problems and say, oh, you know, things are not, you're not sure if I like that or whatever. God is moving. When we exalt God, he blesses, he blesses us because our attention is on him. And the problem here is that too many people think they know something God doesn't know. God knows everything. We think we can give him the counsel, as Paul said. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond trace. Now, who has known the mind of the Lord? And a lot of Christians like to think, well, I, I do. I've got a better idea. But it's God gets the glory. Sometimes I've said to people, no one's big, been the bigger causer of misery in your life than yourself. You put yourself down, you talk about all the negativity, and it's going to bring you down. I'm not saying ignore it, but focus on God. Because the happiness, or lack of happiness, um, can be, it's belittling. And there's the biblical word that we search for, which is even when circumstances aren't that great, we look for God's joy. We can have joy. We might not be happy all the time, but we can have, certainly have God's joy. And when we're not aware of that, and we end up blaming everybody else for everything that's going on, you're just being self-deceived. You know, I've said an example before. You know, I like golf. And uh, if, I, if I employed a caddy, which I don't, uh, but if I did, if he spoke to me like the way I spoke to myself after a bad shot, I'd sack him. But we speak to ourselves like that. We put ourselves down. Let's give all that glory to God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. He's for you. He's not against you. All, that, all the glory must go to him. Now, I know some of you have probably been hurt more deeply than I've ever been um, or victimised. But listen, in the area of finding happiness, sometimes we're our greatest enemy. And the more we try and grasp it and fill it up with other things or look at what other people have got or look at worries me uh, uh, sort of attitude, the more the joy will elude you. The more it will. Just focus that attention on God. And all of our efforts, then we try and find this happiness, rarely lead to it. People through the ages have tried that. And people are most blessed when God is most glorified. Because actually, then you live a life of gratitude for what we do have. If God, come on, if we think about it, if God gave you his son for you, isn't that enough already? You're richer than beyond compare. You know, with him forever. He'll give you everything you need. He might not give you everything you want. It might not all be good for you. So we need to apply that, don't we, uh, to our work life, our family, our church. And me as a minister, I try and glorify God. I don't do it all the time. I can go off track, but he forgives me. But I seek to glorify God. As a father, I seek to glorify God. And I don't get that right all the time either, but I do my best. As a son, I try and help my parents because God's word tells me to. So I try and glorify God in all that. And as a husband... Uh, despite what I've said today and forgot my marriage, um, I try and glorify God in my marriage. And while I'm busy, and while you're busy giving all the glory to God, I'm less focused on my troubles. They don't go away necessarily, but I'm less focused. And it means I can have a positive attitude rather than a negative attitude. It means that I don't get proud about any gifts that God has given me. I can stay humble rather than being a show-off. It means I can be eager to serve because you're not doing it for me or I'm not doing it for you, although we sort of are, but ultimately we're doing it for God. So we need to serve cheerfully, cheerfully with a smile. Um, I say to the team, this is going to finish now, on the team, I say, look, I don't expect excellence uh, because we're fallen, but I do expect excellence in attitude. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Uh, Don't let people down. And for me, living a life with God, to glorify God, is to have that attitude of trying to be excellent in my adoration of him. I know I'm going to fail sometimes. 
I know he's going to be at the peripheral rather than me practicing the presence of God. But he's here all the time. He loves me, he loves you, and we need to give him all the glory. I'm going to hand back to uh, Roger and Sally. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to thank God for what he's done for us as we come to the communion table.